God, I pray that as we examine this story in the Word of God, Lord, that we would see what it looks like to live that way, to live sacrificially, to live with You as our only affection. So, Father, I pray this morning that the Word of God would speak to us in a very clear and tangible way. And I pray it in Christ's precious name. Amen. Her life started out pretty normal. She got married. She had a baby. But shortly after their first child arrived, her husband died and her world fell apart. She didn't have much time to grieve. She was a single mom with almost nothing to live on and she really had to scramble. And people in the culture that she lived in, they just kind of had to make do. There was no uh, government to come alongside and encourage them or help them or step in with a gaps fell short. And she didn't belong to a church or a synagogue and she didn't have a lot of family around, apparently. And she was all alone and she was scared. And to make matters worse, a drought had hit the region that she lived in. It hadn't rained for years and the crops had withered and the food prices skyrocketed and her neighbors turned inward even more in her time of need. There was no available jobs and even if there had been, who, who would take care of her child? Eventually she had nothing left to eat except a small canister of flour and enough oil to make one last loaf of bread. And desperate, she went outside of town to a small field to gather twigs to start a fire, and there was nothing left to do except bake the bread that she had and share it with her son and then wait to die or hope for a miracle. But this young, bankrupt, single mom used her last loaf of bread in a way that so pleased God that her life was dramatically changed. I want to invite you to take your Bibles this morning and turn to 1 Kings chapter 17 as we encounter one of the most incredible stories of sacrificial generosity in all of the Word of God this morning with a message entitled, Proving Our Trust. We're heading down the home stretch of a season of sacrificial giving here at Liberty Heights. And so uh, if you're here and, and uh, you're not a member, uh, you're, you're just one of our guests this morning, uh, this is something special for our church family. If you're not a Christian, uh, just kind of take inventory of what you hear and of God's faithfulness this morning. But, but those of us who have been journeying with Liberty Heights, uh, we've been traveling a journey of sacrificial giving that will come to a culmination uh, here in a couple of weeks, and we gathered some church leaders together uh, over this past week. And we say, hey, we want to encourage you to set the example of sacrificial giving in, in our church, our Reclaiming the Vision campaign. And uh, the families came together, those in church leadership and in campaign leadership, and they made some early commitments. And we're going to announce those in about a week. And I'm just going to tell you, just we'll give you a little, a little glimpse here. You're going to be absolutely blown away. You're going to be absolutely blown away that in an incredibly difficult economy, uh, God's people would sacrifice the way that some of these folks have. And so you're going to be incredibly, incredibly encouraged. But even though as encouraging as that is, uh, it's nothing like the story that we're going to encounter this morning in 1 Kings chapter 17. This woman combed the field for twigs. A stranger struck up a conversation with her. And this stranger was a Jewish prophet by the name of Elijah, who was also in some desperate straits. Elijah, if you don't know the story, he had predicted a famine. Uh, in the land would humble the land of Israel because the people had turned from the one true God and they were worshiping Baal at that point in time. And so Baal was supposedly the God of fertility and the God of rain, but, but there had been a drought for all of this time. And the authorities were furious with Elijah for suggesting that there was some correlation between their sinful behavior and the nation's peril. So he fled for his life and he had been hiding in a ravine uh, for some time. That's where we're going to pick up the story here this morning in 1 Kings chapter 17. Uh, beginning in verse 8. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. Now, he asked Elijah, this is interesting, 
Uh, he had asked Elijah to beg, not from a Jew, but from a Gentile, not from a man, but from a woman, uh, not from a wealthy woman, but from an impoverished widow, and not from an anonymous area of, of, of anywhere, but from Sidon, which was the hometown of his arch enemy, Queen Jezebel. And so God makes this command and says, hey, just do this. Just trust me at an incredibly deep level. I'll provide. I'll, I'll fill in all the gaps. I'll, you know, I'll fill in all the blanks. Don't worry about the story. It doesn't make sense. Just trust me. And verse 10 says, so he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called her and said, please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. Typical preacher. <laughs> He's hungry, right? And he's walking in there. Imagine her situation. Imagine what's going on in the background, knowing that what she's gathering is just going to keep her child alive for a few days. And he asked her for a handout. And then the story goes on. It says, and she was going to get it. He called her and said, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And so she said, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin. And a little oil in a jar, and see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Now, just in case he, he was unaware of the situation, uh, he, he didn't know what was going on, and maybe he just happened on her and thought, oh, you know, whatever. And she said, by the way, I'll go get your food, but, but that was, uh, I was going to make that for my kid, and we were going to eat it, and then we were going to die. And so, surely he would have compassion on her and say, well, you know, I'm just going to walk away. But here's, here's what he did. And Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me and afterward make some for yourself and your son. Typical preacher. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bit of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah and she and her household ate for many days. The bit of flour was not used up. Nor did the jar of oil run dry according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. Now it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick. And his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. So she said to Elijah, what have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? And he said to her, give me your son. So he took out her out of his arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his own bed. Then he cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodge by killing her son? And he stretched himself out on the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, I pray let this child's soul come back to him. Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the soul of the child came back to him and he revived. And so the thesis of what's going on here is that you should uh, give and be generous in such a way that it kills you, then, then someone will hopefully bring you back to life. Amen? What an incredible story. What an incredible level of trust. What an incredible thing that God would ask this person to do who was living in destitute poverty. What an incredible thing of Elijah to walk up on that scene and maybe he didn't know this. So then she told him in verse 13, and he says, hey, listen, that may be, uh, I hate to hear that, but I'm hungry. And just trust me. Prove your trust in God. And look what God will do. Let God show up. What an incredible, incredible testimony. So this Gentile woman can teach us some things about putting our trust in God when, when times are tough and money is tight. And that's the exact economy that we find ourselves living in. So the first lesson that she describes for us here in the Word of God is this. is that God expects everybody to give something, even those going through tough times. 
And this widow had so little, yet God commanded her to assist the prophet. And all the way throughout the Bible, we see people who God calls to sacrifice on paper and with a calculator, we would sit down and say, well, that doesn't make sense. God would never call us in that situation to be generous. God would never require someone to trust Him at that real tangible level where their own life and the life of their child was on the line. But over and over in the Word of God, we see this principle where God is crying out, Trust me. Just trust me. Malachi 3, we're familiar with that passage. It's one of the uh, places in the Bible where, where God says this here. God says, Hey, test me. And see that I'm faithful. And see what I'll do. And see the blessings I'll pour out. And other nations will call your name blessed. So we see this in, in the uh, Old Testament law. They would bring a lamb or oxen or sacrifice to the temple. And if they couldn't afford a lamb, they would bring two doves or two young pigeons to be sacrificed. And everybody was participating and not coming before the Lord without an offering. The same principle of the New Testament. Jesus saw the poor widow with just two mites drop both of those pennies in the offering plate. And he didn't cry, whoa, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. You need that to stay alive. God doesn't expect you to sacrifice. God, God knows your situation. Jesus looked at her and said, he commended her and said, you've, you've been incredibly generous today. Incredibly generous. Reminded in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul receiving the offering for the Judean saints that he comes in. The Bible says they're living in destitute poverty. Destitute poverty. And the Word of God says this. It says, out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. So God requires all of us to say, listen, trust me, be generous. Let me fill in the gaps for you. Let me encourage you to have a testimony. Or you can say, you know what, God prompted me and I, and, I, and I was generous and I had no idea how God was going to show up, but he did. Let me tell you about my God and how faithful he is. But when times are tight and money is tough, we say, you know, we just describe, oh, my meager amount won't make a difference. God wants me to pay bills first and give second and, and give by by fear instead of by faith, and if my, my car gets repossessed, would I be a terrible witness? And I'm, I'm borrowing from God, and God knows I'll pay it back. Some, or one pastor uh, commenting on this issue of generosity, he said so many of us are giving and, and sacrificing and being generous uh, on the wimpy paradigm. You guys know wimpy from the story of Popeye? For a hamburger today, I'll gladly pay you Tuesday. He said so many times we're saying, Lord, for a blessing today, I'll, I'll gladly be generous on that other day. Never trusting God, ne- never wondering, God, are you going to fill in the gaps if you prompted me like this widow in her, in her Bible? To tell us about. So there's a song. It's an old song. It says, Little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it if you go in Jesus' name. So God never looks at the amount. God, none of us are impressing God. None of us are piling all of our pennies together. And I told our folks at our, our leadership meeting the other night, I said, you know what, listen, if it's given with a heart that trusts God and worships God, no matter what the amount's going to be, God will be pleased with that offering. heard about a motorcycle gang member reminding that, that so many times we think we have nothing to give, and, and God takes that gift and He multiplies it, like the story of the fish and the loaves. heard about a motorcycle gang member who got converted to Christ, and I mean, he was radically, radically saved. And he was changed on the inside, but at first he wasn't any different in appearance. On the outside, he looked the same. He went to church the following Sunday after his conversion, and he really stood out because he had a gang jacket with a satanic symbol on the back. He had long hair and earrings. He had tattoos all over his body, and he was worshiping God. And the preacher that morning was pleading with the people to volunteer to work in the nursery. 
So this isn't our church, okay, because our nursery's over. We're turning people away in our church to work in the nursery. There's too many workers, right? This is some other church. And so the preacher asks, is there anyone willing to work in the nursery? Please stand. Well, we can't go off the service. Nobody stood. And so the second time the preacher said, if there's anyone here who feels called of God to work in the nursery, would you stand? No one stood. And so finally the pastor said, I'm just going to ask one more time, please. We need someone to work in the nursery. And the motorcycle gang guy was touched. And he stood up and said, I'll do it. And immediately, 20 young mothers stood up and said, no, 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 we'll do it. We feel called. We'll do it. You never know how God is going to multiply your small sacrifice, right? Your sacrifice could encourage someone else to say, I know they're going through a tough time. And, and man, they sacrifice and it's inspiring me. So the next time that we're short on nursery workers, I'm going to march a biker gang right down through here and say, hey, listen, don't worry about it, right? You never know how God will multiply that little gift, that, that sacrifice. You know something that impressed me when I read this story? When I look at this text here, the Elijah not only asked the widow, he said, hey, just trust God, give to me. But he also said, uh, give to me first. Look at the text there in 1 Kings 17 as he goes to her. And Elijah said to her, verse 13, do not fear and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first. And bring it to me and afterward make some for yourself and your son. And so this principle of First group giving, giving to the Lord first is all over the Word of God. When Moses and Mount Sinai received the law in Exodus 23, God said this, Celebrate the feast of the harvest with the first fruits of the crops that you sow in your field. When the, Joshua in the sixth chapter, when they conquered the land of Canaan, all the first fruits of the spoils they gave to God. You see, the reality is this, the first fruit often there is always an act of trust. And can I tell you that many times in my life, that Tosh and I, as, as a young couple starting out, there were many, many times when we gave that first free offering, the that we just gave to the Lord, and we looked down, and there, and there was a lot more month, and there, were a lot, there was a lot more money. You know what I'm talking about? And we said, we're going to trust God, and we're going to let God fill the way. And I can't tell you how many times I can tell you story after story after story of God's faithfulness in those times. Not because we're incredibly, uh, you know, wonderful Christians all the time, but because God is incredibly faithful when we trust Him. I remember a time we were living in Virginia, and about that time that year, we made about 14000 so we was high on the hog. It was high times. It was bologna and hot dogs, and that was breakfast. And so it was just a rough, it's a rough time. And I remember going out and, and just, you know, said, we're going to give, we're going to be generous, we're going to trust God to provide our needs. And I can't tell you how many times I had a friend, God laid you on my heart, I want to give this offering to you. Check would come up, someone else would say, listen, we've been praying for you, so excited you're sacrificing going out there. God would meet that need over and over and over. Can I tell you that it happened this past week? That we were, we had some unexpected expenses come up over the past couple weeks. And I went to Tasha and I said, hey, here's what's in the checkbook. And she said, that's rough. And I said, you think, you think you should get a job? She said, maybe you should get saved. And so we just had that exchange going on. And, uh, I went to her and I said, hey, listen, uh, we, we can't, we can't go out to eat today after church. We're going to have to go home. And, and, uh, you know, just, and if we do go out to eat, there's a little bit here. And, uh, we want to look up at the menu, not down at the menu. Because if you're looking down at the menu, it's expensive. But if you're looking up at the menu, it's like a dollar, right? That's just a little economic tip right there. You want to look up at the menu, not down when you go out to eat, all right? And I just said, hey, I said, this is, this is what's left, and, and uh, you know, gave an offering. But, but can I tell you that, that when, I, when I got back to my office, uh, that someone had, had left a uh, card on my desk and said, Pastor, uh, just appreciate what you're doing in our church. I know this campaign's tough. Not everybody's excited. Thank you for taking on this challenge, and we just want to bless you and your family. 
We went home and they said, hey, that one build it. We can't. Hey. And we went to Sizzler afterwards and thank God for, no, I'm so, so that was a lie. Totally was a lie. Elijah says in 1 Kings 17, 15, she went away and did as Elijah told her. Elijah said, I've commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food is what God told him. So can I tell you this, that God always shows up on time. God's never late. Not one time has God ever been late. Lesson number two. When we give, God promises to supply our needs, especially through hard times. Verse 15, it says, she went away and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and he and her household ate for many days. Now remember, she had one meal left. And that was it. And she said, hey, we're going to make this and we're going to eat this and then we're going to die. And so that's kind of the plan and that's how our week's going to go. And so that's what's going on. And Elijah said, hey, just trust me. And every time that I trust God, when he prompts me, that he meets all of my needs on those occasions. Philippians 4.19 says this, and my God will meet all of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Not, not over once, not over grief, but all of our needs. Now, it doesn't say here that they had steak and lobster every day. That doesn't say this incredible feast that laid out just says, listen, God met their needs. And can I tell you this? That God will always meet our needs. We may not have everything we want, everything our heart desires, but God promises always that I'll take care of you. Seek me first in the kingdom of God, and all these other things shall be added unto you. Make the bread and water for many days, and God promised that if you sacrifice and give to Him, He will make you rich. And God provides in all kinds of ways. Sometimes it's prevention. The shoes of the Israelites in the wilderness never wore out. Do you think about that? Sometimes it's someone being generous and meeting a need. Sometimes God supplies our needs in, in ways that we would never imagine. Someone offers you uh, to just to share with you some things they have. Maybe a car repair comes up not as much. Maybe God blesses you in some other way. But the reality is simply this. is that every time that we're generous, God promises, trust me. And I will meet your needs. Trust me. Lesson number three we find from this story is this. This is a tough truth. The fact that God will not exempt you from suffering, even if you do give in hard times. And this is where we break ways with those preaching a prosperity gospel. Sometimes what we see on television. Oh, if you just if you just sow a seed, and if you just do that, then God will prosper your life. If you just invest in this ministry, then, then God will well, God will do all these incredible. If you sow a small seed, God will give you a multiply it over and over and over. Can I tell you that's nowhere that found the Word of God? That that's totally out of context. And the Bible clearly teaches that even when we do right, there will be suffering in the life of a Christian. Now you would think this this widow's smooth sailing, right? Elijah came up on a tough time, and Elijah called around, and he said, hey, trust me, and give to me a first fruit offering, and just worry that God will supply your needs, and she obeyed, and God did everything that the prophet said he would do. And you see, you think, well, it's smooth sailing, right? Look at verse 17. It says, now it happened after these things, after she had trusted God, after she had given a first fruit offering, after she had obeyed and expected God to meet her needs, after all, and she did everything right. Now it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick. And his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. You know what that means? That means he was dead. Now of all the tragedies in her culture, this was the way that she was going to be. Listen, your children took care of you. 
And they were part of the, they were part of assisting and coming alongside and taking care of aging parents. And so this woman, she got incredibly angry. God, I, God, I trusted you. And how could you let my life turn out that way? Lord, I gave what I didn't have. And, and I trusted you. And I obeyed the prophets. She got angry. Can we just be honest this morning that some of us get incredibly angry? When we trust God and your life doesn't turn out how we thought it should, can I promise you this morning that in the end, from an eternal perspective, that you'll look back one day and just say everything God did was, was just. And God never made a mistake. And there'll be times from our temporal perspective, we'll look back and we'll say, hey, that wasn't fair. But can I tell you that fair is rooted in the economy of man, but just is rooted in the economy of an eternal, sovereign God and everything on this earth that God calls you to do that you don't think turns out right. One day, you will look back from the other side of eternity and say, God, I never saw it from your perspective, but you did exactly what should have been done. And you are a good God. But she got bitter, just like we do. Here's what she said in verse 18. Well, she said to Elijah, what have I to do with you? Oh, man of God. Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? How bitter she was. You can understand her frustration that this isn't fair. I thought God was going to take care of me. I thought if I trusted and gave when I didn't have it, that God would meet my needs and God, everything would be smooth sailing. And who are you, oh, man of God? Have you come to bring my sins to remembrance? Your God's so cool that He only sets me up just to let me back down again. Elijah was incredibly devastated by the boy's death. And so, verse 17, I'm sorry, verse 19, he says to her, Give me your son. And it says, He cried out to the Lord, Lord, why have you brought tragedy upon this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? And he stretched himself over the boy three times and cried to the Lord. Now, some people say this is the first instance of a mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, but the Bible says they weren't doing that. It says he just stretched himself out of this boy and cried out to the Lord three times. Then it says, Elijah, the Lord heard Elijah's cry, verse 22, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. And Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house, and he gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you're a man of God, and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. And can I tell you this this morning, what that reminds me of? That in the end, when we trust God, in the end, when it really counts, God will make everything right. No one will ever stand before God in the throne. No one will ever stand in eternity and say, God, you ripped me off. God, I got the short end of the deal. And God, I was faithful and you didn't need my need. Or God, how could you let that happen if you loved me? You see, when you see the rest of the story, God always fills in the gaps. God always makes the wrongs right. God always dots the eyes and crosses the teeth because he is faithful. First Peter 1 Peter 1.7, reminding us of the principle of suffering. It says, in this you greatly rejoice that though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith... Now, why is that? Why do I obey God and why do I do the best that I can and life doesn't turn out the way it should? Why, why, why? And some of you this morning, if you could talk to God, you would ask questions about, you know, the, the theological questions about the origin of you know, the universe and all these deep kind of questions. And some of you would look across, if you're honest this morning, with a little bitterness and say, Lord, why did you let that happen to me? How could you have done that? First Peter says that those times in life, that bitterness is rooted in, they have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire 
may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. I don't know everyone's story this morning, but here's what I do know this morning. There's someone in this room who's going through an incredibly difficult time. And in the middle of that trial, you've got a choice. You can get bitter and you can walk away from God and you can shake your fist at God and you can have all kinds of complaints toward God or you can hang on and you can endure and you can let God grow you through. And what 1 Peter 1, 7 says, when Jesus Christ is revealed, all of those things will be for His praise. So hang on and keep trusting God to fill in all the gaps in life that don't make sense because in the end, everything will be made right because He is faithful. He is faithful. I'm going to get excited about it in a minute. Amen? Joni Erickson Todd has a testimony. It's incredible. Some of you know her story. You've heard her. You've seen her. She was injured in a swimming accident in her late teens and was paralyzed from the neck down. And she said one night shortly after she was laying in a hospital bed, terrified, after everybody had gone, she became depressed. And she didn't know that one of her best friends had hidden in the waiting room behind a couch so that when visiting hours were over, she could come back in. And she crawled on her hands and knees past the nurse's station and came into Joni's room. I came up next to the bed and called her name. And Joni said, what are you doing here? You're going to get kicked out. You're going to get in trouble. And Joni went on to say that this girl participated with her in an organization called Young Life. And in Young Life, uh, they sang hymns all the time, and so this teenage friend crawled into bed with Joni, who couldn't move, and they both stared towards the ceiling, and she sang, Man of Sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. Hallelujah, what a Savior. And Joni said the comfort of being reminded that Jesus knew sorrow, and that Jesus knew loneliness, and Jesus knew what it was to do without, and that He was not able to move as well when He was hanging on the cross, brought her incredible comfort. You think about Joni Erickson, who had so little to sacrifice, so little to give. Has given what little she had, and God has multiplied it over and over. She's trusted God with everything, as little as we would think it is. She's using her speech and her singing voice and her ability to write, and her testimony has been used by God to save and influence people all across the globe. You see, little is much when God is in it. When we labor not for wealth or fame, there's the crown, and you can win it. If you go in Jesus' name. Joni went on to say that just recently she went back to a high school reunion and was looking forward to this friend being there. But for some reason the friend was not there and she asked someone where she was and she learned that her friend's son had committed suicide just a day or two before. Joni called her and said, I'm so sorry I can't be with you, but if I were there, I would crawl into the bed with you. And I would say, Man of Sorrows. What a name for the Son of God who came. God doesn't promise that when we give, we'll be exempt from suffering. God doesn't promise that when we're generous, that He'll pass the buck on every tough time in life. You know what God says? I'll multiply it, I'll use it, and I'll bless you for it, and I'll meet every need that you have if you'll trust me. Trust me. I'm going to make you a promise this morning. I'll make you a promise that if you'll just trust God with your whole life, even the parts that don't make sense, then the end one day when you stand before Him, if you know Christ, you'll be thankful for all of it. If you'll just hang on. If you'll just trust Him. If you'll just allow Him to show up and meet that need 
and it doesn't feel like you can hang on anymore, then one day you'll stand before him. And everything wrong in your life right now, one day if you hang on and be faithful, allow him to grow you through that trial, one day you'll stand before him. And I promise you, you'll thank him. And if you're here this morning and look at your life and your talents and your treasure and time, and you feel like you have so little to give back to God, just give it to him in sacrifice. And watch what he does for you. Little is much, and God is in it. Labor not over the thing. There's the crown you can win it if you go. In Jesus' name. When the conflict here is ended, and our race on earth is run, He will say, if we are faithful, welcome home, my child. Well done. Little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown. You can win it if you'll go. In Jesus' Here's what I want you to do this morning. I want you to give me your whole life. I want you to sacrifice everything you have in life that's dear to you. And I want you to sit back and watch what we do with it. I want you to trust me. Father, we come this morning.